0: Uh, as we stumble down a hill I'm delighted to introduce the second half of our greatest hits yes, compilation it is. Uh, so we're looking at episodes uh, 6 to 8 here but um, there's a shorter scope but just as much um, <laughs> golden content to cover
1: Yes, yeah, to be honest I think the the, late, the latter episodes are where the patterns are that's where they put off. Big claim. Big <laughs> I chat. I didn't say it was a good pattern, but yeah, that's <laughs> right. it is patter. I there is patter involved. Uh, Whether it's good or not, yeah. you can decide yourself.
0: Well, um, from the, 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 start, the start of that um, uh, spectrum of coverage, we have, uh, from episode six, some highlights here, Matt. Um, as we struggle through a... Bobby gate. Gate. Sheep gate thing. Um, <laughs> we've got um, the shift in dominance from... Uh, the sort of Celtic age um, uh, ruling kind of systems, more communal systems. So a shift in lifestyle, really. Um, when we talked about the influence of sort of uh, the kingdoms coming in after the clans and um, uh, in the, in the, in the Anglo Saxon influence, Matt, and yes. how that changed life for a lot of people and the way people lived and where they lived in Scotland. Following that, we've got uh, a good wee story about the Battle of Glenfrone <laughs> um, Did they eat one or two sheep. <laughs> let's find out uh, were they hungry or not um, And then we also have some stuff on Rob Roy Bamming up the Duke of Montrose Which is uh, really quite uh, a good laugh yeah. um, So we ho- I hope you enjoy uh, the first bunch of highlights uh, here Traditional, well, ancient Scottish society was—it was really um, a Celtic culture. Um, well, for a long period of time, it was a Celtic culture identifiably, and there was a shift from Celticism to feudalism, which kind of helped mark the end of the clan system. And this was the same, obviously, on Loch Lomond and the surrounding area, where there was a sort of that physical and cultural boundary line between this sort of um, encroaching sort of Anglo-Norman Norman feudal system into the Celtic culture. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the lock itself was a red hot meeting point in that sense. Um, but to give you an idea of what the lock and the surrounding area would have been like back in the day, uh, so sort of, sort of pre-medieval, um, you know, you would have had sort of more populous communities in, in pockets in rural a- areas. You know, the, I think that, that this passage of time also sort of marked mig- a lot of migration from. These populous rural communities uh, away to to, to other areas that became more densely populated and urban areas. But um, you would have had kind of stronger and more populous communities in these rural localities. You would have grazing animal farmers who would have also been sort of um, adding nomadic practice as well, going up the hills and stuff like that. In in, uh, this book that we often quote, Loch Lomanside by John Mitchell, he uses the 1266 Treaty of Perth, which we.
1: yeah, covered in was it medieval square goes. Yeah, yeah, we covered
0: in episode four, yeah, to talk about this sort of, like, shifting point um, from Celticism to feudalism. Um, so, in that episode, we talked about how Duncan I graduated from being king of Strathclyde to being the first king of what was a sort of unified kingdom of Scotland after his grandfather, Malcolm II of Alba, the kingdom of Alba, died in 1034. So, um, Mitchell uses this time the Treaty of Perth in 1266. Um, after that, which we also discussed in that episode is a is a of kind of highlight in ways this, this shift happened. So yeah, I mean this old sort of Celtic way of life before that, um, you know, people who are aware of sort of Highland culture, you almost decked them. Oh, no. <laughs> they would be um, aware of like crofting culture, especially in the Highlands, and obviously that being very different to the sort of arable farming uh, that's, that's popular now. I think, obviously. Back then, people would have also... These, these, these towns, although quite populous in rural areas, they would have been quite disconnected from each other. So, so you know, considering all these factors, you you have this sort of neighbouring clan system um, where chiefs sort of uh, become successful based on the relationships with the people in, in the region itself and the local resources there. Um, and it sort of paints the picture, I guess, of a more sustainable way of life, but obviously not perfect in every way, would imagine, living in the, quote-unquote, dark ages. But there you go. Um, it did, you know... Politically speaking um, speaks to an interesting time um, and culturally speaking as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is different obviously from the sort of Norman-influenced feudal system which is based around sort of enforcing power over large portions of the realm, you know, um, by hereditary right, basically, who who (laughs) who your family is and who your friends are. So that kind of brings us on.
1: raided 45 houses in Glenfinless, which the Cahoons followed up with a larger attack or which they followed up with a larger attack in Glenfruin, um on the 7th of February 1603 so yeah there's a few different takes on where the battle took place one claimed that um, two McGregor men spent the night in Cahoon country and were refused shelter but they were also refused to be taken over the ward to be with their clansmen even though they were offered money for both I think and um, so the two McGregors. The McGregors
0: offered money. For, so the for
1: McGregor the offered war. money yeah, yeah. Um, to be taken over and they said no. Yeah. So the McGregors found a barn to camp in and killed a sheep or some sheep. One sheep, I don't know. Probably one sheep. One she-
0: like <laughs> <laughs> two people.
1: <laughs> for what, two You've people never, in we'll one night. Will na- just have a sheep <laughs> each? Two people for one night. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know, they might have been hungry. Uh, good point, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> They, they killed the sheep, and then again in the morning the McGregors offered to pay for the, the slaughtered animal, but instead were ordered to be hanged by Alexander <laughs> Cahoon. Absolute rat.
0: What an absolute snake.
1: Um, so then Alexander Cahoon had been given permission by James VI to carry arms and pursue McGregors. Therefore, McGregors made the first move. So the Glen Fruim, where the battle took place, lies between Gearlock and runs kind of down towards Baloch. Yeah. And um. The Cahoons made their way to Aucking, Glen, and Glen with around three hundred foot soldiers and five hundred horsemen. McGregor's yeah, a lot of horses. McGregor's only had four hundred foot soldiers but got to the Glen first and set up three hundred Going too fast here. Um, so they got to the Glen first and set up strategically to catch the Cahoons with a pincer movement. Alistair MacGregor, I think, who was the clan chief. Mm -hmm. Um Took his men to block off the head of the glen, and his brother John blocking off the bottom, so they squashed them in. Yeah. And the coons were at the bottom of the glen on poor foot conditions, which made the horses useless. Like us today. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. I don't even think a horse. No would have a horse. <laughs> out out. As well, man. Uh, so yeah, the poor conditions um, made the the horses pretty much useless. The battle commenced. And uh, the Coons lost around 150 to 200 men, with apparently two students from Helensburgh also being caught up in the action. The way that's phrased is
0: like that two two students were just in the pub.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was like that day equivalent of (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, apparently they they get done in. So, after this, James VI was meant to become. King of England in the march and didn't want any Highland disturbances to ruin his coronation. So
0: that's for context, like uh, the King of Scotland, James the Sixth. I think he was to become the James first, the First of, of Eng- England yeah. of England and the Britain. Yeah. because like the Union of the Crowns had just happened as yeah. well at that point. Yeah.
1: So he abolished MacGregor name, which lasted 108 years. This meant that anyone with the name either had to chuck it or die. Um, and then, yeah, so in Edinburgh, Alistair MacGregor and two of his chiefs were also hanged. Oh, hanging. Isn't it's trendy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the room Roy, MacGregor!
0: Yeah, so um... The Duke of Montrose, who became a Duke in 1707 due to support for the Union, Um, advanced Rob Roy a large percentage of the money, but he decided to foreclose the debt without giving any time to pay it back. He was pretty angry. Within weeks, Rob Roy was bankrupt and the Duke of Montrose's government ties um, had Rob Roy outlawed in 1713. The Duke of Montrose was sheriff and dispatched troops to Rob Roy's home to make it uninhabitable.
1: Just like set it on
0: fire, basically. Yeah, he torched torched it. Um, Again, very Mafia. Uh, Rob Roy fortunately wasn't there. He would retreated to his mother's cousin's estate, the Earl of Bredelban. Good man, Johnny. And a Jacobite, The Earl offered protection and a house in Glendocker to to Rob. Um, The Duke of Montrose's men uh, didn't want to go near. Um, So his outlaw status meant that Rob Roy could no longer access land, rent, tenant services, cattle or work so he decided to make a living of uh, the Duke of Montrose <laughs> a bit of payback uh, this guy uh, really is not getting it easy from Rob Roy uh, he was raiding principal tenants for cattle, grain and rent money he would hold the tenants up at gunpoint giving them a receipt for their troubles <laughs> smaller tenants were left alone though and sometimes even assisted There you go. Robert wasn't Hood. all a
1: bad guy so um, one story claims that um, a tenant was to be evicted, and Rob Roy turned up early on the day of the eviction, gave the tenant the money to pay off the bailiff. Uh, Then after the bailiff left, he held him up and... (laughs) ..stole the money back. (laughs) This
0: man is a story (laughs) sublime. Yeah, so despite being an outlaw, um, he still took part in the 1715 uh, Jacobite Rising, Uh, and after this took place, uh, an amnesty... um, Well, an amnesty was offered... um, for the surrender of arms but Rob Roy didn't know who to hand himself in to and he wasn't going to do it to the Duke of Montrose (laughs) Um, the Earl of Bredelbahn was also old and dying and uh, the government employed Swiss mercenaries um, who had uh, already burned down the home he was provided with (laughs) do you know anything about these Swiss (laughs)
1: mercenaries? nah, read it in a book that's all Again, again man,
0: kings. this is. if you? Do you remember? Um, what's the famous Sopranos episode with the the pine the, the pine trees? Oh,
1: they checked
0: guy. Oh, when they hired that, that that they hired that the Russian or che, Chechen, the, yeah. Chechen guy to fucking him. So similar. Uh, there you go. But um, so we end up. Rob Roy just surrendered himself to the Duke of Argyle, who's, who's a Campbell. It was. Um, uh, slightly more anti-government than the other options. Uh, Duke of Argyle was now Rob Roy's protector and gave him a house in uh, Glenshira, north of Inverere. <laughs> so this year Rob Roy again started harassing the Duke of
1: Montrose. <laughs> yeah, so apparently he started uh, harassing the Duke of Montrose <laughs> again. I don't know how many times he's done this already. Uh, but the Duke's retaliations, funnily enough, became heavier, <laughs> heavier and heavier as time went on. But Rob Roy would also still manage to escape captivity. Um, which must have be been really frustrating. Uh, this fucking guy <laughs> So Montrose eventually eased off, but other government forces kept up their efforts to capture him and eventually I uh, failed. Yeah, they yeah. I was, reading this wrong again, fucking Christ <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the government forces kept up their efforts but Rob Roy was too popular and attempts to capture him failed yeah. um, so
0: during the opening stages of the 1715 Jacobite Rising, on the 29th of September soon after uh, the Jacobite leader um, proclaimed James as king he was meant to arrive from, from France in October um, MacGregor uh, was travelling down uh, the loch by boat and and foot from the east um, the McGregors, sorry, uh, started raids and and stole any boats they came across along the way (laughs) making their way down to Bon Hill uh, their presence is already known and let me tell you Matt, you don't want your presence to be known in Bon Hill, (laughs) you don't want to make yourself a target in Bon Hill, with gunfire and church bells ringing out from Dumbarton Rock uh, the McGregors returned uh, to Inchmurran, taking more boats (laughs) heading to Inversonade how many boats do you guys have man? more than (laughs) Um just take it, just take that boat uh where they uh, they stole uh ever uh the chicken Montro <laughs> cattle landing deer, Christ, starting to feel like this chicken Monrose is basically like Ned Flanders or something like that <laughs> um so the idea of this was to prevent Hanoverian troops from gaining access to the lock smart um provoked a reaction from the government who sent troops and ships up the leave to the lock where they were eventually joined at loss by Humphrey Cahoon. Bloody town I mean, a name like that, you're going to be supporting the authorities. You're not going to be a rebel when I mean, you're called Humphrey, are you? Um, and in the troops marched up the hill to bang their drums, hoping to draw out the McGregors for battle, but they never came. Uh, the government forces did find rope, anchors, oars, and eventually some boats, but the McGregors had escaped. And those forces travelled back down the lock, collecting any boats they could find. I don't imagine there were many left. Um, it's unclear if the Jacobites or the Hanoverians like won in the end, but. By December, Rob was sad again, <laughs> Natalie escaping, being captured by...
1: You just can't the resist, mosquitoes. can it? <laughs>
0: Um So, yeah. After another rise in 1719, Rob Roy retreated to his farm at the head of Balcedor, rearing and occasionally stealing cattle, plus taking part in the watch. Okay, Matt, I've got a, a shorter introduction
1: for this next highlight. Um, this is from our Lake District Away Day episodes. Yeah, which uh, do you know, I've still not listened to that. Um, still got the fear. I, yeah, I, I will do it at some point. There's going to be one day that I really need a, a wee pick-me-up, and right. that's that's going to do it for me.
0: I've heard a lot of people have enjoyed it, so um, this is definitely the episode that we were swithering the Release <laughs> whether
1: we should actually release it or
0: not. So uh, there's a bit of a good a good feel last in that one, although it's short. Um, this one is about uh, a particular royal controversy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy
1: it. W- whether it did or didn't happen. Yeah, I'll we'll let you decide. <laughs> what that? in the Bass Light Distillery. Oh, really? Oh, ah, yeah. Light Distillery, yeah. Oh, wow. Well. We were
0: hoping there's a bar at the top of this hill, mate, but I think we're going to be upset. Um, maybe that's a good incentive to climb that, then. Maybe we can do that. But I think we'd probably perish today if we tried it. And we'd get knocked back by the distillery, I think, as well. will meet you
1: after. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun
0: fact, off the record, but... Uh, oh, there's a cut. Plenty <laughs> visited that Lake's distillery, cut, and the staff mention. pinched her arse. She's <laughs> <get> fired. <laughs> No lads, two minutes in is Aaron Moy assisted by Jota. We're completely. Just what I just want to say we're a secular podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Plus David, David, David's here doing the reverse cross. <laughs> He's doing the orthodox I'm, one. I'm it. orthodox.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: to try and mitigate that. But it was
1: Moy assisted for Jota. Moy scored Jota. Right, okay. says, <laughs> Daddy's oh, are fucking mad. Oh fuck! <laughs> <it>. <laughs> 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 Shut up, I <laughs> None of this is getting published I don't think. I think that's but going
0: it's... Go, going by the information we've discovered the podcast. <laughs> you are a journalist in fairness, good journalistic uh, research there. Um in fairness all the things I've learned about uh, the Brits in this podcast it's that that's it's, can we say that karma? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Man. I'm going to lose my job. And um what is it to know yet? Have you got any other stories about the royal family being harassed, Paul? Or? I think there's more stories about the royal ha- family harassing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> bloody <laughs> brits. Um,
1: never...
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, that is genuinely rebellious. What you need to say is, I have heard from an unnamed source Apparently, an alleged, alleged rumour <laughs> that they are a pervert. Yeah. Alleged.
1: I've, I've made up the joke case anyway. <laughs> Even still. <laughs> Looking at you 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 look look And I the think Duke that's <laughs> where we'll switch off everybody. <laughs>
0: Um, Now we have to introduce some uh, some highlights from episode 7 which was um, about the ecology, the environment, uh, Mm. the fauna, the flora. I wanted to just give a a little cut credit to um, some chat about um, the impact of climate change in the area, which might be interesting to hear about again. Um, and then some. Uh, one of my favourite stories from that was around the Cameron House Bear Park, Jimmy Chipperfield, and very frightened Bison. Um, and then again from this episode, which was rich and and patter, good or bad, uh, was us calling everything weasels and fat house cats. Yep. Yeah, which I'm still pretty happy to stand by. They are yeah. appropriate descriptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at them yourself. You, I'm sure you'll all agree. Um, And then we have some stories about Bam and Bravel, don't we, Matt?
1: Yeah, which is pretty chaotic. Yeah,
0: so I hope you enjoy these... thing that I did find out the temperature and the book that is, much of this information comes from for me from my side is again the bold John Mitchell's Loch side. Um, by the way I would love to speak to John Mitchell if he's still alive if you're out there John get in touch um, because uh, I think he lives in Drummond I did a bit of stalking oh, on the he? internet aye but we can go meet him in the
1: clacking for a pint as well we
0: can yeah we have a hopefully upcoming interview uh, in the clacking uh, at some point um, but um yeah, so but we've mentioned this in the first episode, actually, um, the incredible tectonic geography of the area. Yes. Um, you know, the, 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 the hills, the mountains, the convergence of the lowlands and the highlands means that there is actually a radical variation in temperature at any given uh, time or day uh, between some areas. And there's a good example here given by Mr Mitchell, and he talks about the drop in temperature from Roward Denning car park by the loch um, up to... Um, the top of Ben Lomond which as a crow flies is only three miles um, can drop as much as seven degrees centigrade and that's only like a, how long does it take to walk up there? A couple of hours <laughs> so it's pretty wild um, there's a lot of variation in, the, in that temperature and there's a lot of variation in the, uh, the wildlife as well um, last point on, on climate um, talking about the climate crisis as it's been recently remodelled and, um, yeah, unfortunately, Matt, it looks like things are going to get cloudier and wetter. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, I don't think it could get any cloudier <laughs> and wetter, but apparently I've been disproved, which isn't actually that uncommon. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: just looking at anecdotal evidence, yeah, um, for myself as well. Um, unfortunately, it may get cloudier and rainier, and um, we expect some species, uh, some highland species especially, to come in a bit of bother because of the drop in sunlight associated with that, and also the drop in protective snow cover. Yeah, I'd seen that there was no
1: like permafrost left in Scotland. So like really, there's yeah. certain you know bits that'll it snow and then it's well because um, it's hidden, you know, you sheltered it stays, but I I think the last of that's yeah away. So well, good hopefully
0: oh God yeah. Use this as a uh, a call to action, hopefully, to try and do something about this. Eh? Um. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to segue this, but I really need to shoehorn this story in about bears. Matt, Um I mean, uh, Yeah. I'll just go for it. If we find a more appropriate way, we can maybe edit it. Right. So that it's... relevant. I mean, this, just everyone needs to hear this. So, the, the, the kind of famous Cameron House Hotel and Resort, which uh, sits on Loch Lomond, just had a very interesting history itself, uh, the hotel just alone, with, uh, Obviously, like a tragic fire and other things happening, but for a number of years, um the Cameron House, or the site uh, was actually a safari park Matt, and uh, it led <laughs> to a string of exotic escapes from um, skunks to brown bears What would you rather uh... encounter? Ah. <laughs> it depends how big, I mean I'm about to go into a specific bear who looks quite cute, but um, a skunk would also be problematic in some instances, I'd imagine if you're going to like a you know fancy ball or something like that after it um, but Uh, This is from the Scotsman. Um, In 1972, the owners decided to diversify their offering by opening the grounds of their stately estate to some truly grisly guests. Um, (laughs) It had been created in 1972 by Jimmy Chipperfield, whose family were also known for their circus um, business and uh, the introduction of animal parks to stately homes and estates elsewhere. uh, A wee business going on. I don't know if they're... Are they related to Blair Blair Drummond or something as well? I don't know. Goodness knows. I don't know. I mean, this didn't work out too well. (laughs) For almost 20 years, the Cameron Bear Park was a popular tourist attraction for families in the western Bartonshire area, with its 32 varieties of Himalayan, Black and European bear and other animals, including the American bison, the Tibetan yak and Highland cattle, before closing in 1990 uh, to make way for the current hotel.
1: The, um, the Highland cattle must have felt really bored, In amongst that yeah. kind of, uh, and they must have felt very under threat from the bears. <laughs> I'm
0: assuming. Surely they weren't keeping them together. <laughs> well, apparently the bears were allowed to roam freely. That's what I found out as well. So I don't have a clue what's going on, but there's lots of pictures of like the owner high-fiving a bear and stuff. But um, there's a lovely picture here in a Daily Record article about it, and it's the Jimmy Tripperfield uh, posing with a tiny little baby bear called Patrick the Bear. Uh, whose name would have been a confounding prospect for both mass-attending Celtic fans and loyal Ranger supporters and men of the lodge area. Indeed, the Safari Park was not a commercial success, reflected perhaps by this confusion around uh, the Bears' um, proto-Tim um, and uh, staunch name. And uh, all investors, including the owner, Patrick Telfer Smollett, a descendant of the Smolletts, um, went bankrupt before the land was given over to new developers who basically established the now reputable uh, hotel and resort and to stay to quite the top of the parks and uh, yeah why don't we move on to foxes, stoats, badgers and cats yes um, so foxes, um, well they were sort of persecuted yes. for centuries yeah. right because they're, they're infamous for killing of uh, uh, livestock and whatnot
1: so are humans, why were they not persecuted? I
0: don't know, Matt. No idea why are there people not out in red coats shooting humans
1: <laughs> on horses? Am I right? Maybe, maybe we can start that, yeah.
0: Time. So, um, and the pine martin and cat were also extensively trapped due to their predatory nature, regarding poultry and game, and both were driven from Loch Lomond uh, by the late 19th century. And I've put here some descriptions of what they look like, Matt. Yep. Uh, and I've said that the pine martin looks a bit like a weasel, and the cat um, which I thought would look like a wild cat But it's a completely different thing The pole cat uh, looks a bit like a pine marten That's let itself go a bit So yeah. a fat
1: weasel Yeah, really not uh... Well, I guess you are actually being quite descriptive It's just well, if you know what a weasel looks like uh, yeah. You don't know exactly what it looks like are we, are we going to tell one of those stories now? Because that's uh, the a weasel
0: Yeah That sounds like a good idea Let's, right. um, Would you like to tell the story about the mink in the Pringles tree? Yeah, I think it was a weasel
1: I, oh, I got it confirmed that it was a weasel So Good investigative journalism for you there Matt Yes uh, There is someone that both Jan Luca and I know Who was kind of He wasn't really a groundskeeper But he was doing groundskeeper work He's just kind of a jack of all trades <laughs> And uh, he a fairly erratic individual Yeah lovely. he's pretty, pretty bushed So he had caught a, a weasel And he was looking to get it taxidermied as, <laughs> To give to someone as a present <laughs> Which in itself is fucking insane. <laughs> anyway, he uh, couldn't find a taxidermist, so if there's anyone living near Vale of Leven, and they're kind of wanting a career change, I think taxidermy might be something to look into. Alongside pri- mole catching? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two in one. Yeah. Like, you're making your own product <laughs> to sell. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have a monopoly over all of yeah, that. Exactly, it's a really open market. Yeah. So he tried to do this, failed, but then for his birthday... <laughs> A few months later, another one of our friends had bought him as a joke because he was meant to receive the weasel as a, a gift. So instead of person two receiving a weasel as a gift, why didn't we give them code names? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm, Let's t- call them Bravo and Bam. <laughs> okay, so Bam bought Bravo, what he thought was a taxidermied weasel. And it arrived Did you not order it on Amazon? I yeah, yeah I'm not, I am think it was Ebay <laughs> <laughs> but, So I bought this thing off Ebay And it arrived in a Pringles tube And it just turned out to be a dead fucking weasel It hadn't used enough There was flies in <laughs> the Pringles tube and everything so, Did he send it back? I don't know I, I, Surely you don't send that back You just put it in the fucking bin Like I, I don't know what happened to it but that's one. And then I've got a dear story for later on, but we'll... we'll yeah, get, we'll come we'll,
0: to that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> featuring the same people? One of the same people. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. again. Uh, aye. Well, uh, there you go. Um, in case you didn't know, you can, in fact, order on eBay um, a, min- a dead weasel in a tube. A Pringles tube. In a Pringles tube. Um, it's not been stuffed. It's not been stuffed. An with the weasel. Um, so... On the subject of weasels That's a good insult Stoat <laughs> yeah. uh, and weasel populations increased With the introduction of brown rats and rabbits Including in moorland where dry stone walls could provide cover The stoat population Also impacted by the myxomatosis of rabbits um, uh, They were also impacted but they appeared uh, to be more common uh, than the rabbit Here we came across a stoat I don't know what it looks like, so I could not tell you. In my head, it's like a fat sort of beaver-type thing.
1: Right. So everything's either. Oh, a do weasel. you know what?
0: No, it's not. It's a weas- it's a weasel. Is it? Is it's that, more like a weasel. Is a weasel? Yeah. Thing. Um. Maybe I'll Google that. After. Badgers, is that? Badgers, I believe. Yeah. Matt, the final uh, <laughs> the gate slam shut behind me. Uh, the final set of highlights here, Matt, um, are from episode eight, um, back in my day, and I talked about a lot about industry and the history of industry in the area. Um, this, these highlights are kind of about the kind of growth of uh, the towns, the growth of work, uh, industrial work around areas, and especially around the Vale, uh, Vale leaving, and. Um, Again, the influence that that era had on a real another big shift in lifestyle mm. from uh, more suburban but more rural areas to uh, these new suburban towns.
1: a yeah, bit con- more concentrated. Yeah,
0: and um, then we have uh, something a bit less educational <laughs> around stories of uh, gastrointestinal distress in uh, the ancient epicenters of Europe. There you go, it uh, kind of reflects the, 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 the two sides of this podcast series, I think. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it and um, uh, tune in later. Just to a, wee, a wee bit here on sort of the shift from communal rural living, which was much more common before the industrial age, and the shift to sort of urban living. And the industrialised working practices, which we'll go on to in a wee second around the area. But yeah, so um, the drift in the land. Oh.
1: Do not use disposable barbecues within the vicinity of this structure. We're yes. currently standing under a wooden pyramid. You'd think that would. Uh... Yeah, so we're
0: in. We're, we're standing behind Inveruglas Monument. We're about to look out. It's a big kind of pyramidy thing. We walk out. Aye, Sega. What's happening there? Why is it
1: fenced off the seats? (laughs) Has someone been using a disposable barbecue? No, maybe they have,
0: aye? Silly bastards. Let's walk down here.
1: This is lovely. The only thing that's missing is a couple of Camden off menu IPAs. Good point, mate. Source one. Ask a passerby.
0: Yep, I'm just sitting on the rock. Uh, out off the front of that Inveruglish monument. Just right on the edge of the water. Lovely man, sun in our faces. Gorgeous scenes. My now clean ish looking bits despite the fact that they Yeah they've they've scrubbed
1: up quite well. As I'm lounging. Aye, right, so uh, where was I? Going from communal land use to the industrial age. Yeah and um, if my notes will let me find my place.
0: Yeah, so what I was saying is the drift from the land during the 18th and 19th centuries, consequence of the agricultural reforms that are taking place and sort of less labour intensive work practices that are being introduced on these kind of farms meant that um, basically there's a loss in sort of labour needed for these kind of practices. This caused like a significant displacement of a, of, of significant proportions of loam lo- inside rural populations. Um, and this was happening at the same time, there was a loss of sort of basically all common land through uh, successive enclosures of land by contiguous landowners, as they're called here in John Mitchell's book. And that deprived many people of the livelihoods that they had before of self-sufficiency uh, on their own smallholding farms. Uh, and the, you know, at the same time, as I said, there's this amalgamation and mechanisation of farms cutting back in the number of workers needed. And in the uplands as well... Uh, many of the long-standing farming tenants were, uh, as it says here, obliged to vacate their holdings, to allow the incoming flockmasters to run enough sheep into the emptied glens to meet the increased rents. Parishes on the east side of the loch experienced the greatest exodus of people, so that's Drummond and Buchanan, both lost more than a third of their
1: inhabitants yeah. during the second half of the 18th century. i dread read that loss went from something like 950 inhabitants to 450 in the space of, or a pretty short space of time, so that's nearly roughly about half the population had to
0: leave. Mm. And the mainly Gaelic-speaking population of Buchanan, so that's kinda like a uh, kind of like near Gartarhorn?
1: I think, so there's like Milton of Buchanan in between Drummond and Balmaha. Right. So I don't know if it's around okay. that
0: area. Right. And the Gaelic-speaking population of that area declined by a similar number again over the next 30 years so yeah again losing a sort of third of its inhabitants one part of this Highland Parish was entirely denuded uh, of its residents and the Kirk Session records showing that where 63 families had once lived the land was entirely given over to sheep it's really
1: devaluing human life isn't it it's like I'd rather have sheep living here than you yeah
0: and you know I think at this time there's no way that people would have understood how this was life in these areas was going to maybe did they it was going to change forever and, you know, up to this point now, well, maybe the advent of kind of home has made things slightly different, but, mm. you know, it's still... You can't imagine these big, you know, groups of people, uh, families and communities living in these areas. It's, they're so quiet now. And under the terms of new leases coming into effect, it was not unusual to have stipulated that every abandoned steading be dismantled or at least rendered uninhabitable by removing the roofs. And I think we talked a little bit of kind of stuff in, in sort of... Uh, we, we talked about bodies. And you kind know, of body culture. Yep, but, like the so landowners can... th- this time in the glens and the highlands did their best to try and destroy these old farm standings, but you kinda know, they couldn't really keep up with the people that were using them and trying to re- recover them. So yeah, constant battle between bastarding elites and massive landowners and um, you kind know, of people just trying to live their lives I, basically. Normal folk. Yeah. Um, the ruins of some of these homesteads can still be seen in the area, providing a quite a poignant reminder of the way that kind of life has disappeared. And, and, and I think uh, John Mitchell yeah, actually, there's a, there's a brilliant kind of excerpt here in that book about he says that compared to the national outcry that followed the enforced removal of rural people in favour of sheep elsewhere in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland uh, he's referring to the Highland Clearances, which are quite famous infamous, this precursor attracted remarkably little public attention and critical comment and I think he links it to the fact that you know back then and maybe even now it was kind of justified that the pull factors were as strong as the push factors Um we're about to move on to why it's basically the growing textile industries and yep. around uh, the River Leaving and the Clyde. But yeah, it still doesn't I don't I think if you were to ask these people, can we stay where we are? Um, you know, and have our old way of life, they probably would have said yeah. But I'd imagine so. <laughs> yeah. But instead yeah, people were uprooted and folks started to move to the towns, which brings us on to the bleach, the dye and the print works.
1: Yes. yes Matt. So there was a lot of bleach, dye and print works. It moves from bleach to dye and then to print. On the River Leaven, so the Leaven's the only outlet from the loch flows from Baloch out to the Dumbarton, past so Jameston, Renton, Alexandra Bonhill, and then goes out into the Clyde and Dumbarton. So the Vale that's kind of a a local term for the area. Vale of Leaven includes Baloch, Renton, yeah. Alexandra Bonhill, Jameston. So the Leaven's one of the, the fastest.
0: Yeah, I did say I'd tell a few stories that kind of popped into my head when the, on the ascent, map. One was to do with gastrointestinal distress. Um, I don't really know if this is good, enjoyed content, but um, it did remind me of um, we were we were talking about first of all about our pal again. We, our pal no, should be it's our pal. If, we can cut it out <laughs> uh, we, um, about how um, we went to a lovely holiday to Rome. Uh, a few of us uh, during the in between lockdowns in 2020 and um, our friend. Well, we, we queued up together on one of the days um, to see the the famous keyhole. Um, I forget I forget the name of it. It's near it's near the Church of San Anselmo, though, mm-hmm. but it's like a famous... If you've seen the film The Great Beauty, which is amazing on Netflix, I think it's on as well, um, there's a great scene where they go around these amazing monuments and roam at night and they kind of have... Free rain to walk about, but anyway, one of the things is you see the keyhole um there and you get a great view, a kind of panoramic view. Yeah, like it looks the... out onto the Vatican yeah. and kind of across the skyline of Rome. Anyway, so we queued for ages to, to see, to go look through this keyhole and then near the front of the queue. Our pal Div goes, eh, sorry guys, I really need to release my bills, so I'm going to have to just make a quick escape. So he's, he skippers off to the public toilets around there, which eh, I think he paid a few quid for. And we're reliably informed we're the, one of the worst bogs in the planet. Yeah, and so he said...
1: It was the hottest place on earth that day. <laughs> <is. laughs> yeah.
0: And it was already a hot day. So um, that reminded me that reminded me of that. Um, and also on that same day, I actually had my own issues. Um, because my friend uh, Goffo and I, we were sitting outside uh, a lovely cafe in the Jewish quarter. And after an espresso or two um, and a night of heavy drinking prior to that, I think we were trying to wash ourselves in the... Uh, the Trevi Fountain, <laughs> three in the morning that night, uh, the night before. But um, yeah, basically, um, I went to use the facilities in this little cafe, and uh, it was quite. Um, anyway, it was it was not a nice sort of episode. And I've opened the door, and directly outside are the free owners of the cafe, sitting at a wee table like a meter away from the door. And uh, They just gave me some of the coldest stares I've ever had in my entire life. So yeah, I, walk, walked outside, <laughs> <Also physically laughs> I walked
1: walked outside. Physically evacuated. I
0: walked. I walked outside and I said, for mate, we need to get out of as fast as possible. <laughs> so anyway, those are my stories out the way for gastrointestinal um, things. that made you feel any better? Yeah, actually, it's, it's kind of cathartic. It's made me feel less nervous about the journey down to the public facilities right now. But um, anyway, so... Yeah, back.